Today we talk about when IVF outcomes don't go as expected. I'm Dr. Mark Amos, and this is Taco About Fertility Tuesday. You may have not experienced a failure in IVF, but many people do. And failure isn't always defined the way we think of it. And today I want to take the time to define failure and to prepare people for outcomes they maybe weren't considering before. When you think of IVF, you probably think of two outcomes. I either become pregnant or I don't become pregnant. And that's pretty reasonable, but in reality, there are actually more outcomes. And sometimes these outcomes are even worse than not being pregnant. Now, it seems strange to say that because, of course, not being pregnant is the absolute worst outcome when you think of the purpose of IVF. But at least when something doesn't work, you have resolution, and you can deal with it. But what about when something does work? What happens when that HCG level is low? Now you have all the excitement of being pregnant, but you also have to deal with the fear of losing the pregnancy or not staying pregnant. When this happens early on in the pregnancy, we call this a chemical pregnancy. You are absolutely pregnant in a chemical pregnancy. It's just the pregnancy, something went wrong, and you will not be able to deliver that baby in the future. This can be extremely difficult because sometimes some people test at home, see positive lines on their home pregnancy test, and then later find out that the pregnancy wasn't going well. The roller coaster of emotions that comes with that is incredible. If the numbers come down and resolve on their own, it's somewhat simpler. But sometimes, the numbers will keep rising. And even though they're not rising appropriately, they keep rising and rising. Now you have to deal with the concept of, is this pregnancy even normal? Is it an abnormal pregnancy? Or could it even be an ectopic? An ectopic is one of the most dangerous situations in pregnancy, where the baby is in the tube and can potentially rupture and you could potentially bleed to death. And so now something so positive as a positive pregnancy test has now become something poor. And it's not just for people who have irregular numbers. Even if your numbers are normal, there is still the possibility that you could find that you have an ectopic pregnancy. Can you imagine the numbers rising appropriately and going in for your first ultrasound and then finding out something wasn't right? And that goes beyond just ectopics. There are things called blighted ovums, where the pregnancy is going well but the baby never formed. And so here it is, everything looks great, you go in for your OB scan, and there's no baby. 
And no one at that moment can even tell you that something's wrong. They can just say there might be something wrong. You have to then wait another week to find out if something is wrong, to see if anything grows. The suspense of this is painful. Waiting to find out if everything you worked for is going to have a positive outcome versus crashing down. And even when everything is going great, even when the pregnancy test is good and the OB ultrasound is good, there are times that there are still miscarriages. You can have what's called a subcoronic hemorrhage, where bleeding can cause the pregnancy to be lost. There can be situations where you have a missed abortion, where the heartbeat just stops and you come in for your next ultrasound find out. I don't bring all of these up today to depress you because it, it doesn't happen that much. But I think sometimes when we think of IVF, we think of the results as dichotomous. It's either you're pregnant or you're not. And I don't think people realize that you can be pregnant and all these other things can go wrong when the numbers are even looking good. So I wanted to take a moment to at least make you aware of these possibilities. So in case, unfortunately, this does happen to you, at least you were somewhat prepared that it was possible. The second part of today's discussion, I'd like to talk about when an IVF cycle fails or when you have a repeat IVF cycle, what things should you be doing different or doing the same? The human side of us always wants to change things. If something doesn't work, well, then we should change it. But that's a simplification of the process of IVF. What's better is to actually go through each part and find out where the problem is and then fix the area that had the problem versus just changing everything to make you feel good. And so after we discuss this, this will give you the tools to talk to your doctor about changes you might want to make versus just changes you heard about on a forum. Now, regardless what goes bad in your IVF cycle, whether that is poor fertilization, whether that is the embryo creation, the blastulation, which is the growth of the embryo to day five, in the end, all we really care about is coming away with a baby. Even in my IVF cycles with my wife, things weren't perfect, but we came away with a baby. So in the end, I really don't have anything to complain about. But there are times when, even if the outcome's good, you want to get more eggs and you may still want to make changes. But instead of blindly making changes, we want to look at each step of the IVF process and find out what things we can do to make it better. So some common things that can go wrong in an IVF cycle are poor quality of embryos. There can be issues with the stimulation, and not getting enough eggs. There could be issues with the fertilization. There could be issues with the blastulation, growing them out to day five. There could be issues with the PGTA results, where none of them come back normal. There could even be issues at the time of the transfer or during the transfer. And then obviously, the outcome. 
So let's talk about each factor. And then what we'll do is talk about some examples. So the first factor is always going to be environment. So that means part of the problem may actually be the person who's going through. So for example, if you're 44 years of age and your embryos keep not making it to day five, I'll get questions from people saying, well, my friend gets them to day five. And I say, well, how old's your friend? And they go 33. And I go, well, yeah, that's, that's different. You're 44. So age can be a factor in the quality. And so when you're looking at an IVF cycle, you need to take that into consideration. The lab makes a difference. I have people come from labs all the time that have some of the lowest pregnancy rates around. And so I'm not as surprised when things don't work. The other question would come from what is their fertility problem, right? If, if the problem is a sperm factor and then there's poor fertilization, well, no one's going to be too surprised about that. The next step in an IVF cycle is the preparation. And that's getting you ready for the IVF cycle. And where this can help is this can help quality. So for example, using things like CoQ10 and DHEA will have a better effect after being used for three months than only being used for a month. And that is because the eggs that you release during the stimulation cycle were selected 70 to 90 days before. So the longer you have been doing something such as changes in your lifestyle, CoQ10, DHEA, the better chance you're going to see a benefit from it. The next category is going to be stimulation. The stimulation is where you get your eggs from. So where the preparation, you can look at things like quality. You can look at things like how the eggs grow together. Do they spread apart or not? That's in the preparation. Now we're in the stimulation. And the purpose of the stimulation is to get the most amount of eggs. So if you're looking to change something in the stimulation, it would be for the reason of knocking enough eggs. So for example, if you got plenty of eggs with a protocol, then why would you change it just to change it? Because protocols don't change the quality of the eggs. Now, the other thing that you have to look for in stimulation is how well was the retrieval. When you're retrieving an egg, Sometimes, if they're not mature enough, then you don't retrieve them as well. And so sometimes when you're making decisions, you may say, I may wait a day later now because they weren't mature enough. And by waiting an extra day will allow better maturity. The next category would be fertilization. How did that go? Did you do standard fertilization or did you do ICSI? Did they fertilize or did they not fertilize? Did they fertilize normal? So what do those mean? Well, you can have fertilization and not fertilize normal. So for example, let's say you had 10 eggs and you fertilized all 10 eggs and all of them fertilized. All of them develop what are called two polar bodies, which means that they fertilized. But let's say all of them developed three pronuclear bodies. Well, that's abnormal fertilization. In the end, you have no embryos to use. And so you could say, well, why didn't any fertilize normal? But that's not something you can change. There's nothing you can do with ICSI to fix that. So that's a situation where you have to understand the difference between did they fertilize or did they fertilize abnormal? Whereas if they didn't fertilize and you're using standard insemination, you may then choose to use ICSI the second time.
Now, when it comes to blastulation, we're talking about the embryos that are created after fertilization that are normal, making it to day five. Now, I stress the word normal because we don't expect the abnormal embryos to make it to blastulation. So if you have 10 embryos again, or I'm sorry, 10 eggs, and you fertilize them, and six fertilize normal, and four don't, and then those six, three of them make it to the blastula stage, that's perfect. We expect 50% of them to make it to the blastula stage. Now, the, the question that comes up then is, are the ones that made it to the blastulation stage good quality? So if they're good quality enough to be frozen or biopsied, that's great. But what if three of them made it of the six, but only two of them were able to be biopsied and one couldn't? Then in that situation, that is good blastulation, but poor quality. And then your focus should be more on quality issues. So now you're thinking about adding growth hormone or again, CoQ10 and DHEA. Now, the next category is if the embryos are euploid meaning are they normal from a genetic standpoint? And so if your PGTA results come back and show they're all abnormal, it's easy to go, well, why didn't it work? Because you would think that maybe something that was happening during the stimulation or the blastulation caused them to be abnormal, but the answer is no. Matter of fact, nothing you can do can really reduce the abnormal embryos other than just chance. I've had many patients ask me, well, my friend took growth hormone and then they came back normal. Again, purely chance. The growth hormone absolutely cannot make an embryo that is chromosomally abnormal normal. It just can't happen that way. And so it's important to understand that if the results come back that way, it's just unfortunate. Now, sometimes when the outcome isn't good, it is also important to look at the transfer. If someone is struggling to make a good lining to their uterus and the clinic decides to still go ahead with a transfer, then that could be the reason why it didn't work. The same thing goes with technique. If something went wrong during the transfer, then it's not surprising if it didn't work. So taking all these factors, we can now come up with ideas of how to fix different cycles. Scenario one, the patient has 13 eggs, but she ends up with only two embryos that were biopsied and sent off. If you just looked at the details individually, you would think everything went bad during the culture. Of the 13 eggs she had retrieved, she only ended up with two embryos. But what's important to understand is of the 13 eggs, only six of them were fertilized because the other portion were not able to be fertilized because they were very immature eggs called germinal vesicles. And then when you look at the fertilization, only two fertilized normal, even though all of the eggs fertilized. So when you actually look at it, the patient did fantastic when she was cultured because she only made two embryos and she got two embryos, means 100%. So in that case, we have to look at it from the standpoint of, did she make enough eggs? Then the question is, 
did she fertilize? Well, yeah, she fertilized 100%. It's just that some of them didn't fertilize normal, meaning that they had extra polar bodies or extra pronuclear bodies. Then when you look at the blastulation rate, again, it was 100%. Now, we don't know the outcomes of everything else, but the point is, if we're going to do another cycle, it's easy to say, well, let's just do something different. But the question is, what would we do different? In this specific situation, I would say it has to do a little bit more with the maturity. Because there were so many germinal vesicles, the question is, should we wait longer to retrieve the eggs? Could there be a problem with the maturation of the eggs? And that by using a stronger trigger shot, maybe that may benefit. And we also thought outside the box and said, it wouldn't hurt to do things like growth hormone or to maybe even change the menopure dosage, trying to see if we can prove the germinal vesicles. Now, just as a side note, there is no treatment to making germinal vesicles become mature eggs. But the point is, we looked at it objectively and then came to a conclusion. In this second scenario, I had a patient who made a lot of eggs. 63, to be exact. Of those 63, 40-something of them were mature, and she ended up with 20 embryos. And those embryos were grown out to the blastulation stage, and she got 16 embryos. They were all biopsied, and only one came back normal. And she came to me and said, you know, I want to do another cycle. I want to get more. How can we improve it? And I went down the line, just like we talked about, saying the preparation looked good, the stimulation was good, the fertilization was good, the blastulation was good. The only thing that came back abnormal was the PGTA results. And I explained to her, there's nothing we can do to fix that. And it's because she was 44 years of age. And so we talked about things like preparation, but the problem here is waiting three months to prepare by using CoQ10 and DHEA would not benefit her. Now, technically in this situation, she was actually already taking it, but I want to make sure you understand that I wouldn't wait for someone who's 44 to be on that. But I had to explain to her that there was nothing else we can do. Unfortunately, the outcome was bad but the process actually went well. If there's anything to get out of this, the purpose is I want to make sure you understand the different factors and how they influence it. So we talked about the environmental factors, which is the person's age, their health, the quality of the lab. The second category is looking at the preparation. Did you take birth control? Did you just stimulate out of nowhere and did the eggs spread out too much? Was there better quality that could have been through maybe CoQ10 and DHA? The next category is the stimulation. Was it a good stimulation? I've had people go through and only get a few eggs. I say, you know what? We got to change it. Let's do something more aggressive or something outside the box. Was the trigger good enough? Maybe you need a stronger trigger. Was the fertilization good? Should you change things up? For example, if you're using donor sperm, the fertilization was bad, maybe switching to a different sperm donor. 
Looking at things like blastulation will let you know, is the issue with your embryos making it to the blastocyst or is it an issue somewhere else? And where it dies off on day three or making it to day five makes a difference about the quality. And so sometimes you can determine if you should use growth hormone in this situation. And then we talked about the PGTA results, how it's nothing that you can do anything about and no one can change those results. And then the last part is the transfer. When things don't look good, don't go ahead with a transfer. You've worked so hard to get to this point. Why put an embryo in a situation that's not good? Overall, the most important point is this. Sometimes the outcome that we're looking for may not happen, but we can't look at the whole experience as the problem. But We need to look at the individual parts. I've had patients who have had success with us, and when they come back to get a second baby and we're going through another IVF cycle, they're shocked I'm changing everything. And they say, but everything went so well, I got a baby. And I said, well, no, the outcome was good. But if you actually looked at individual parts, there were problems. And so recently I had a case where someone went through the first time and she was able to get pregnant with a child. And this time we have now multiple, multiple embryos. Why? Because we made some adjustments, even though she's more mature now. She got more embryos because we didn't rely on just the outcome to make decisions. We looked at the individual parts. Well, I hope everyone is doing well during this COVID-19 pandemic. I thought I was going to be able to do these weekly, but unfortunately, it's still very difficult. Um, Having the family home all the time is uh, making it very difficult. As always, we always appreciate the reviews. We appreciate you telling people about us and the emails that you send me at TBFT, talk about Fertility Tuesday at NewDirectionFertilities.com. Again, that's TBFT at NewDirectionFertility.com. Until next week, or possibly the week after, this is Taco About Fertility Tuesday.